So Bambos, welcome to our final interview of 2021. I'm sure you're very sad. Uh, we've chatted almost every month through the year, apart from the odd occasion where we've not been able to. Uh, we're going to go through the highs and lows today in this very special episode. However, before we get into the appraisal of your work, your party's work over the last 12 months, could you give us a little insight into how Parliament works and how you'll still be working over this festive period? Because government still continues, even though it's Christmas time. Yeah, um, well, obviously, Parliament stopped sitting last Thursday. That was on the uh, 16th. It's that bit rose on the 16th. We're not back to the 5th of Jan. Um, obviously, things still need to be happening. So the mechanics of the day, data operating of, um, um, of running the country still goes on. Uh, it just means that there's no legislation, there are no debates happening at this present time. Uh, that may change. We may get recalled, as we have done um, in the past. Um, if there are new restrictions introduced, they may be uh, that might be some get recalled over. Although I expect what will happen is they may announce them. We may have to um, retrospectively approve the measures in January, but um, don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, but um, the work doesn't stop. So I'm currently in the constituency office. So I've been um, seeing constituents, um, you know, so I'm planning to just come to the door and I've said hello to them and uh, just ask them what the problem is. So, and I've been having various Zoom meetings. So more of those till Wednesday and we'll finally wind things down on Wednesday, um, close the play on Wednesday. And this is the thing, you know, obviously this is over the radio so people can't see, but I can see you're in your office there. You're working, you're busy, putting in the hours, even though technically this is the the time off that people always kind of say about parliamentarians. It's never a time off, though. You know, from my discussions with all of you, uh, you know, Bim, yourself, Bambos, and also Daisy, it's, it's amazing that you actually, it's kind of like, your parliamentarian first and then your Bambos Charambos second, you know, with with your likes for other things. But let's start with your individual politics of 2021. You had six core ideas for your plan for your constituents when you got elected or re-elected. Um, going through each one, explain maybe how you feel you have delivered on these pledges this year. The first one of which was help create a strong party by engaging with members and affiliates such as trade unions, actively recruit new members and help provide training to those who want to develop their skills for the party. Obviously, this isn't something that you majorly manage, but you've partaken in the process. Do you believe that that has improved in 2021? Yeah, I think by speaking to members, by being um, attending meetings, answering questions, by getting people more engaged, um, People often, just, just even people who email me and I engage them by email on certain issues, uh, I think that sort of dialogue is really helpful because to a lot of people, I mean, sometimes as an MP, you forget how privileged you are to be in such a, a position and people do look up to MPs. Um, and um, so I think there there is a, a role that I think, you know, engaging with the with members of the public with younger people. I've been, I've been into a number of colleges and six, form, six forms and uh, to uh, 
spoken to year 12s and year 13s, been to um, schools. So just engaging with young people there and encouraging them, I think that's been something that I've been quite keen to do as well. Let's move on to number two, which is campaign. I will regularly campaign and take the fight to the Tories. I mean, do you believe that you've been able to do this as much as you want in 2021? Uh, ideally, it's not been... Um not been the best year for campaigning although i have somehow managed to um campaign in three uh parliamentary by-elections uh and go out on a regular basis at weekends and also campaign for the uh mayoral and uh, gla elections uh so um so i think i've done a fair bit of campaigning uh that's going out door knocking um canvassing with people at weekends um uh, under whatever restrictions have allowed us to um uh, so, yeah, so I've, I've been, I went three times to Batley Spen, three times to Hartlepool, and four times to um, Old Bexley and Sidcup. So I've done, done a fair bit outside the borough as well. Moving on to fundraising, you said that you'll raise funds for campaign and for the local party. I mean, th- with some of these issues here do you feel that sometimes it's been a little bit hindered because of COVID-19? Very much so fundraising has been, been one of the areas we've been hit so um haven't done much fundraising but equally we've not spent so, as much money uh because they're we've, we've kind of like been in between elections so that's kind of like been okay but we definitely need to do a bit more fundraising so um um yeah I need to work on that one. I mean, with that one as well, I want to try and be as fair as possible to you. Like you said, with COVID-19, the situation, do do you think that your your voters should be pragmatic and understanding that this year, especially, a lot of people have had their incomes cut. We've talked previously about universal credit, but everybody seems to have the pound in their pocket hit by cost of living. So the fact that fundraising has gone down a little bit, that needs to be contextualised too before anybody's too critical, don't you think? Uh, Totally. I mean, I think things will be harder for people on lower incomes. Um, As you mentioned, UC and um, the cut to universal credit and um, inflation increasing as well. Um, And extra fuel costs would also uh, uh, be a problem for people. Um, I think we need to take that into perspective. And also people will have lost jobs as a result of um, um, COVID. Um, Some businesses won't be coming back which is unfortunate. Others will will have grown, so uh, we'll wait and see. But that has been a factor as well. I guess number four is linked a little bit to a point that you said in number one. You said you want to have more political education, hold regular education events organised with the assistance of the local party. As you said there, you visited a lot of schools. I mean, have you done it in other ways as well? Yeah, so with the local party, we've had some really interesting keynote speakers uh, out at our events, so uh, we've had uh, David Lammy. Uh, he spoke at an event uh, that we did. We've had Rosanna Alan Khan. Uh, we've had um, a number of other speakers uh, who are not MPs. So I think that's been very good and very um, very interesting. Um, but yeah, I think having uh, and I've actually been asked to speak at other. Um, constituencies um primarily on immigration issues so um one of those was physical one of those was uh virtual 
So, um, yeah, it's, um, um, yeah, I think, I think that's always a, a good thing to do to have more um, events, but it's just been a bit difficult to organize the events. Although, ironically, with Zoom, it's made it a lot easier. In the past, you'd have had people physically have to come to your constituency. So, um, you know, I've been invited to constituency in the Northwest at the uh, end of January, which uh, uh, I expect would have been physical, but they may or change that to via, via Zoom if uh, things don't work out. Yeah, and in a way, that links again to number five. You do seem to be accountable, at least here on Radio Verulam. I mean, it's kind of uh, a big thing each month coming on, answering questions from the community as well, because we open up to everybody and anybody. We have our, our ways of selecting them so that it's as fair as possible. But do you believe in other ways as well you have been reporting back and listening to your constituents? Yeah, I try to. I mean, obviously, we try and respond to uh, as many, if not all, the emails that we get um, on a whole raft of issues. Um, I attend uh, all the um, meetings that the party has. Uh, they, they have a special section for MPs to report back. Um, so I, I, I try and do that um, um, and just make myself available. Um, but I think it is important to... Um, be held to account about things. Some things people may disagree with you on your viewpoint, um, but um, you just have to say, well, I've used the best of my judgment to reach that decision. And let's move it to number six. You said organise more socials. I mean, some of these are a little bit interlinked, so I guess you've yeah. maybe covered it a bit with four and one as well, but do you want to expand on that final one as well? Yeah, I think, I think people... Um, some of the, I remember when I was a, a young Labour Party member, I was too terrified to go to a meeting because I thought I'd be, um, you know, as a teenager, I'd be out of my depth with um, these people who, you know, um, were high intellectuals and, you know, there's me still at, still at school, not knowing what to do or behave. But so I think trying to break down the formality of things, making it easy for people to, meet and uh, mix and just uh, get rid of that demystifying the um, uh, meetings and that sort of thing I think that that does help so yeah I would um, would definitely do a lot a lot more of that work I mean just quickly on that then I think that's a really interesting point to bring up you said there is a young member you may be a little bit shy do you have like a turning point moment where you thought oh, actually hang on a second I could become as you've mentioned before you were on, on the council and now you become an MP standing up in parliament I mean was there a moment that you thought actually I could do this well so I joined when I was 16 and the first meeting I ever attended I'd, I'd gotten I'd received notices but I was too scared to attend and then the first meeting I attended was um, to select a candidate for uh, our uh, the by-election because I joined in 1984 just before um, the um, um, the MP for the area was killed in the Brighton bomb and that was Sir Anthony Berry oh, so we had a by-election in December 84 and so the first meeting I attended was to uh, help choose a candidate to stand in the by-election uh, and the winner of that by-election was a certain Mr. Michael Portillo. Wow. wow. To him. 
<laughs> that is uh, and then having attended that meeting, I realized that people were um, quite normal um, and um, and attending meetings with nothing to be afraid of and spoke to a few people there and that encouraged me to go to uh, other meetings in the future, which I did and the rest is history, as they say. That is a fascinating insight into the young Bambos, but also I think an encouragement to younger people who may not feel that they're the right person or whatever in politics. It should be there for everybody. Let's move it, though, to an analysis of your 2021 in terms of maybe landmark moments. And in June, you became Shadow Home Officer Minister for Immigration. How much have you enjoyed this new role? And connected to this, this meant that you're no longer a party whip. Were you, were you sad to lose that other role as well? Well, I think that they say that once a whip, always a whip. So I, I have been <laughs> sort of roped into covering some of the for the whips sometimes. Um, so, um, um, yeah, I did. I mean, the thing about the whips is you meet every day. So there's a proper sort of team collective, uh, whereas other departments, you just, um, you know, yeah, you, you'll meet once a week if you're lucky. Um, and so there isn't that sort of camaraderie of uh, being in the whips office, um, doing things there. Um, so I did miss it, but there's no way I could have been a whip and been the shadow immigration minister. That would have just been unbelievably hard to do. Um, so, um, um, so yeah, so it's, uh, whilst I missed it, it was definitely, um, necessary because of, uh, the new role that I was taking on. With this new role though, do you think that this is something that maybe you got into politics for because you're, you're at the forefront, you're debating bills, you're, you're trying to change legislation. Do you feel almost like it's a, it's a landmark moment in your labor career that you've arrived, you're, you're, you're making an impact on legislation? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the Nashampton Borders Bill was one of the biggest um, pieces of legislation that was being introduced. It was a very landmark one that the government wanted to uh, pass. So being the, um, being the labor uh, voice on, leading voice on that bill has uh, been quite, um, quite demanding, but, uh, but I'm, yeah, it's, it, people's, people say to me, uh, they congratulate me, but then they say all oh, immigration uh, as if it was like some sort of bereavement. So, um, so it was like sort of seen as like the a very important job, but also a very difficult job in, uh, uh, in labor. So um, I, I, I thoroughly, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And so with, you know, you brought it on to my next question with the national uh, nationality and borders bill. Are you proud of your input or are you upset that you couldn't change it as much as you wanted to? We, we were never going to change it um, to, I mean, ultimately we wanted just to defeat it because we think it's a bad bill. We were never going to defeat it because we didn't have the numbers. But, um, you know, there were certain points that we made and um, there were certainly two organisations who had particular issues because it also that people forget the nationality part. So the bill tried to rectify some uh, anomalies in the nationality aspect of the bill. Um, so um, after the committee, I wrote to Kevin Foster, who's the one of the immigration ministers of the government. So he deals with all the internal stuff. And we managed to get um, the government's... Um, Kevin Foster agreed with the points we were making. And um, he has... Um, 
promise that the law will change to help people in these in the situations that I highlighted. So there is a small victory for what you wanted there, Bambos, and obviously you'll keep working away in whatever capacity you can do. Now, we're going to look at some of your data for the year, and I feel like I'm, I'm going into my, my day job role as like a football analysis here, but you had 245 parliamentary question asks, 316 speeches in Parliament, and over 20,000 constituency contacts. I feel like I should be asking your expected goals data as well, but maybe that's for another time. Um, has this been one of your busiest years ever? Uh, it has been very busy, and uh, part of it has been the the new role, but a lot of it is uh, um, is constituency work. I have some very engaged uh, constituents who um, are very aware of what's happening in Parliament, or they have particular uh, issues. So they, you know, they're very good at getting in touch and encouraging me to speak in things or to table questions um, or to um, liaise directly with them. So there are a lot of those will be campaign orientated. So there may be, uh, may have been about COP26, there may have been about the borders bill, there may have been about uh, the right to protest or some other um, area. It may have been about, um, uh, I know the EU settlement scheme um, so it could have been any one of those and they would have got in touch. Do you feel as well, though, you know, I've I've said a lot of numbers there and they seem pretty huge. But do you feel this year has also seen that COVID has hindered your ability? Uh, it has to a certain degree because I always like to be out and about meeting the constituents and um, and attending events. I've tried to do that as much as I can. Uh, which uh, hopefully I, I try and post things as much as I can on social media. But um, I'd like to think I have, under you know, within the, the, the restrictions of COVID, uh, done whatever I can to uh, alleviate that. But it has been harder with uh, COVID. Um, and um, but you know, we can still do things. I can still table questions remotely. I can still to make speeches. You have to be there physically. Uh, and equally to um, um, to I guess um, well the, the, the constituency contacts we can do via emails and we do do via email so it's only really the speeches that I have to be physically available so COVID hasn't made much difference for those aspects but I certainly do like to be out and about meeting uh, the constituents and visiting things and seeing for myself what's been going on. And you have been seeing a lot of things. You have been involved in a lot of things in the area. First of all, local fly tipping was something that we got emailed about quite a lot and that you said you would intervene uh, as much as possible because quite often people assume that as an MP you kind of have control over everything in the area, but it is a, a council issue. But how much progress do you feel has been made? Um, I think Enfield have actually done really well in putting money into the um, um, clearing up fly tipping. I mean, it, um, it hasn't stopped, but it is getting cleared up a lot quicker than it was before. So people aren't noticing the eyesores that uh, you see so, so much. Um, I mean, I would still like to see more prosecutions of people that do fly tip. Um, but, um, but I think credit to the council, they have listened and uh, they, they have been really good at getting rid of fly tipping certainly in the last six months 
In June, we saw flooding of wood green, which added to the problems of the area with COVID. What has been done to help local residents and businesses? Have you been to, to kind of visit? Obviously, it's not part of your constituency, but it's close and it affects people that do live in your area. Uh, do you feel enough has been done? Um, no, because it's kind of like been left to the insurance companies. Uh, there was some help from um, Harangay Council, I know. Uh, but I think it's... Um, I do feel that, you know, there will be more and more flooding that happens now because uh, it's one of the things that will never be happen as a result of global warming. Uh, we will see more extreme weather, uh, whether it's uh, droughts or floodings. So we will see more of that happening. Um, so I do think the government needs to, like, sort of get their head around this and actually be, have something that is there to support businesses when, the, when flooding does happen. Um, I mean, maybe there was another cause of the flooding, which case the um, the businesses could sue whoever it was, whoever was, was responsible. If it was like Thames Water that said it was broken mains, that would have been something different. But uh, if it's just through rainfall, then that's another matter. And that is something that the government needs to seriously consider long term. Moving it again to another local issue, and it's the Merca slot situation. Are you happy with what you've achieved on this in 2021? Yeah, I think we took it as far as we could. So we, we got the government, we got the council to, to uh, review the application, but uh, on legal advice, they um, caved in at the end because they they knew they, were, they weren't on strong ground. Um, but interesting enough, even though Merca slots has opened, uh, it's, I, I haven't seen anybody go into Merca slots that I've been looking. So, um, so I think the antisocial behaviour we expected hasn't materialised as yet. But we'll keep watching brief on it because uh, that was a really big concern of local residents. Um, but yeah, I don't know how they make any money because I don't see ever see anybody going into Merca slots. <laughs> Uh, that could be a discussion for another time. But finally, in terms of your local and single issues, have you found it an improvement this year? Because like we said a little bit earlier, you like going out, you like meeting people, discussing things in person. As a positive of 2021, has, has it been your ability to meet people a little bit more often, even if it has been socially distant or with a mask on? At least you're getting out there now. Yeah, very much so. I mean, there are people. I've got regulars. Uh, there's, there's a chap who walks past the office every day and taps on the window and just waves at me. So, uh, <laughs> so, so he he's around. Who did it today? Actually, so he's um, so he's um, so it's good to see that he's you know safe and well. But just um, just people just going down the street. You know, I went to the post office earlier to post my Christmas cards and. Uh, got stopped three times on the way just to chat to people who wants to wish me well or say hello so i kind of like I, I do like that uh, interaction let's move it to party politics good and bad first of all labor have had successful campaigns through this covid period over school meals and showing strong feelings on universal credit cuts are you proud that even with you know, your smaller numbers in the Commons, that you're able to be part of impactful campaigns that in some instances actually changed government policy? 
Yeah, very much so. Because I think the irrespective of majorities, and the government have got a huge majority. I think when the they're against the public on this, and I think we were on the right side of this argument, um, then they caved into public opinion. So it was quite an easy thing to um, defeat the government on. I mean, we actually lost the vote in the Commons, but uh, we won the, what's the phrase? We, we lost the battle, but won the war because there's such outrage that um, the government didn't want to give free school meals to, to kids. So, um, um, so that was certainly one of the big campaigns that we were very pleased to be involved in. Looking at the polls, it shows that Labour have now got a lead over the Conservatives. What do you think the party has done to achieve this? Well, I think uh, they say that oppositions never win elections, governments lose them. So I think just the erosion of trust and um, confidence in the government uh, has meant people who have thought twice about sort of where they want to keep supporting them. Um, I think uh, Keir's leadership, steady as it goes, has also been um, what people have looked at now. They want some stability, not um, somebody who's a maverick and is going to, um, you know, there's going to be all this uncertainty about what's going on in the future. So I think those two things have worked. Um, and just what, you know, just giving us a hearing, because I think in the past people assumed Labour were, uh, had certain views and uh they weren't willing to give us a look, but now they are. I mean, you've mentioned Sakir, um, and I've mentioned polling there. I want to mention other polls as well. Um, I think it's Ipso Mori from the top of my head, but their polling suggests that Keir Starmer is actually very unpopular with the electorate, probably less popular than Boris Johnson by the latest ones. Are you worried that this lead in the short term is only because you're seen as the least worst option rather than you're doing a good job, that you've got some really good kind of manifesto pledges? Do you think that that could be a problem going forward? I think the the biggest factors of people voting for uh, a party or a leader is basically who they regard as being the best prime minister. Um, and I think that even though uh, Boris Johnson might be ahead slightly at the moment, I think that's going to drop because as his um, grip on running the country slips, and I, I think so would his popularity. So, um, but also Keir hasn't, he's done a bit of going out and meeting the, the public, and I think that's certainly been changing perceptions. He needs to do a lot more of that. Um, I think once, once the... Uh, public get to know him and meet him. I think there's, um, I think they will see that he's, um, you know, he he has got a lot more personality than people give him credit for. Um, um, he is very much steady as it goes, um, but um, it, it's um, it, it, it's his particular style of uh, leadership, and it is different, and it is the antidote to Boris Johnson, which is break the rules and um, shake things up as much as they can, and distract people while other things are going on elsewhere. Looking at Labour through the pandemic, the party's almost prided itself on calling for the right measures at the right time. You know, uh, kind of one that really springs to mind is obviously Keir Starmer calling for a lockdown last Christmas. Boris Johnson in the House of Commons was 
replied with a jibe that Keir wants to cancel Christmas and then a few days later it had to happen. Are you proud of the party making these tough calls sometimes uh, that may seem unpopular in the short term but have been proven correct? Yeah, I mean, what's been clear is that we will always act in the public interest. So we will certainly do things that um, will try and um, protect the public, particularly in relation to COVID. So um, I think the problem that uh, the government have, or Boris Johnson has, is that um, they've got the added dilemma. They've got to try and keep their backbenchers happy as well. Um, and often the backbenchers in the interest of the country don't... Um, don't always um, align themselves. So I think that causes more problems for the government. It makes it much more difficult for them to um, to get things through as, as they would like. I mean, you, you talk about backbenchers there then. Um, maybe quickly, do you think that the Labour Party is more united then than the Conservatives? You know, people do talk about infighting factions, whatever. But do you seriously believe that there is more unity in your party and that may make you better for governance then? Well, I think certainly uh, from bench-wise, uh, we've got a lot more unity. There'll always be people to be critical of the leadership uh, for whatever reason, um, and, and all parties will have those. But I think there isn't the uh, open warfare that there was previously uh, when Jeremy was leader. So, um, so I do think it is more disciplined now, and I, th I think you will see um, the party getting its act together whenever the election uh, is. It could be next year, it could be 23, it could be 24, we don't know. But, um, but I think that it's a good sort of sign that we are you know, getting things together. Looking at what has happened in 2021, you've got the PPE situation, second job scandals, lying, and potentially laws that break other laws. Um, has this been one of the most concerning times for you as uh, an opposition to the Conservative Party? Oh, 100%, because uh, it seems to be uh, a rogue government intent on sort of um, trashing the UK's brand and just um, not operating like you expect a government to operate. So the idea that you would have um, a bill that's you know, potentially breaks international law. It's just crazy, you know. And um, um, they're also trying to stop people from being able to scrutinise you through changes to judicial review and um, proposed changes to the Human Rights Act. So it just, um, it, it's kind of like the thin end of the wedge. I mean, if this was happening in a, uh, a dictatorship, we'd say, you know, this is an outrage and... Um, we'd be sort of having debates about that particular government. But because it's the UK government, people seem to like be, I don't know, um, steep walking into this um, um, power grab by the government. And I think that needs to be challenged. You said in November that it's clear from voters on the doorstep, even lifelong Tory voters, that they feel fed up and f taken for granted by Boris Johnson's government. Are you saddened then that this is not translated into electoral success for your party and instead the Liberal Democrats have made the headlines at the by-elections and at the local elections the Greens were the big winners with you having heavy losses? Why has this not translated across Bambos? Well, I think it has in 
in seats where um, Labour are challenging the Tories. Uh, Labour have one seat, so look at Worthing. So they have made gains in places like Worthing. Um, I think the uh, Labour gains tend to be, sorry, Green gains tend to be at the expense of Labour or the Lib Dems. So there isn't necessarily a, um, uh, a switch from the Conservatives to them. Um, and the Lib Dems do what the Lib Dems do. They, they will pull all their resources on um, one or two seats in by-elections because they are by-election specialists in winning seats, but they don't have that, uh, they don't have a very wide sort of um, base uh, to build on. Um, so they are really stretched and they can only afford to focus on by-elections. So that's the, um, that's the concern there. Uh, I want to talk about now maybe the makeup of the Labour Party. And there are claims from people in the, you know, within the Labour Party, from outside the Labour Party, that Keir Starmer has shown an authoritarian turn, uh, less votes for the people and the proposals, especially in terms of electing leaders and deselecting MPs, has made it harder for left-wingers to make it onto the leadership ballot and harder to deselect MPs. Is this the Labour Party that you want? Well, I don't... I don't accept that's the outcome. And obviously, if somebody's going to be really popular, then they will get the support they need, irrespective of what sort of... Um, wing of the party they belong to, if they belong to any wing of the party, then uh, it doesn't necessarily translate into that. Uh, I think in relation to MPs, I think the, um, um, I mean, we, we can still get triggered. Uh, we still have, um, if, if over half our branches and half the um, affiliates decide that they want to get rid of us, then they can still boot us out. Uh, I think having a threshold which is only um, a third was just a bit low because it's quite a draconian measure to introduce. Uh, although I would say if you are if you've got more than half your constituency getting wanting to get rid of you, then uh, I, I do think you need to reflect on uh, whether you should still carry on as an MP. Um, so um, yeah, before I mean what was happening, there was also no minimum threshold. So I know. Diana Johnson, um, she was one of the MPs who did get triggered last time around. Um, she had, I think it was three wards who voted against her. Uh, and in one of those wards, only two people turned up because it was a very small ward. Uh, and because three wards rather than just two had voted to trigger her, she got triggered and had to spend a lot of money trying to um, get herself um, reselected. So you believe that this is actually a, a fairer process then? I think it, I think it is fairer. Uh, I do think that um, you know people need to be aware as to what their rights are about you know if they if they do want to disagree with their MP about what they can do about it, and ultimately if they um, if they and others like minded um, them want to deselect them, what the rules are for deselecting them. Let's move it to uh, Keir Starmer himself with the leadership of the party. And at a time when people are judging the Conservative Party for apparent mistruths, many people are also critical of your leader in his core values. You know, uh, people have said that he's not been committal enough on core values and policies. He said he believes them in a lot. 
but he hasn't revealed them. But also he's seemingly gone away from the very pledges that he ran on to become party leader. He had those 10. And what I would point to is, you know, very recently we saw public ownership being debated with him and there was a U-turn that even kind of confused Ed Miliband. There was a U-turn on the Lords and also the shocking statement that the pledge is to get the party into power, which worries people that he will abandon everything in order to just get elected. I mean, does that not worry you a little bit, Bambos, that people will not be able to trust you because the pledges will be changed for pragmatic and uh, for reasons to just get elected? Well, I mean, first of all, we need to get elected to implement anything that we do in any event. So. Um, we should be focusing on what we need to do to get elected. Um, we haven't we haven't announced um, anywhere near what our manifesto is going to be for the general election. Uh, obviously, with uh, the latest um, um, reshuffle, uh, Keir now has people in positions that will be there for right up to the general election. So that is this team now till twenty twenty three or twenty four, whenever the election is called. Um, and that they'll be tasked to come up with policies. Uh, those policies will obviously have to, you know, um, be supported by the party. Um, but I don't think, I don't necessarily think that some of the policies that have been, um, you know, we, we, at the moment we haven't got any policies for the manifesto. Um, and once we do have them, once we've revealed them, we don't have to re reveal them too early because the Tories will start stealing them from us if we do. Um, so, um, so I think I would say wait and see. I think you might be um, pleasantly surprised. Um, but even when people would, like the Tories gave us their manifesto and they're breaking it left, right and centre. So, you know, um, what was that thing about tax rises? There wouldn't be any increase in tax rises. Hey, Presto, you know, year and a half in, tax goes up. So... I think it's um, what's that phrase? You you campaign in poetry and govern in prose, something like that. The thing is, though, you know, uh, you are kind of charging the the government, uh, which is obviously your kind of opinion and your analysis as a Labour Party member to to say as such. But the analysis also that Keir Starmer has made U-turns himself. So how can the electorate go into the next election if you've got a manifesto and then all of a sudden one of those elements is seen as unpopular, but it's a core value. It's something that you believe in. Would that then be changed just because it's unpopular, but it could be the right thing to do? Well, um, I, I'm firmly of the view that um, rather than try and... You need to have certain principles to, um, so you need to start off by what are those basic principles and uh, build your policies around those. Um, if you're, uh, but clearly you're winning over the electorate is, is is the whole game, you know, it's the whole show. So if you, you could say something that the electorate are very um, hostile towards um, and you won't get elected. You know that that's that's also part part of it as well, but I think you need to you need to marry the two together. You, you ought to marry up what your principles are with what the um, public um, believe in. I mean, the you know I 
I believe in being very tough on antisocial behaviour. That should be one of our core values. You know, we shouldn't sort of uh, tolerate it because it, it leads to problems that affects, um, tend to affect poorer communities. Um, so we should be supporting, you know, the, the tackling of that. That's one of the big issues that I know Sarah Jones, my uh, colleague, is uh, uh, looking to develop. Um, people feel let down by the lack of, you know, police and the increase in crime in the areas. And again, that should be uh, something we support because, you know, that's why, why do we want people not to feel safe? So I think the same things out there. I mean, I, I read a book um, called The Fall of the Red Wall. Um, and I think the author said that in the last general election, we only, we only mentioned crime on day 25. And yet it was very high up on people's priorities. Um, so I think we do need to um, reflect on what uh, our priorities should be. But I think we're not... We need to marry them up with our principles, and I think that's what we're waiting to do at the moment. Let's move it on to some quick evaluation questions then. Before we look to the future, in 2021, Bambos, what has been your proudest moment? Um, I think being appointed um, Shadow Immigration Minister was uh, quite a surprise to me, and I was very pleased to do that. But being asked to do the Borders Bill... Uh, which was a huge piece of work, um, was, um, yeah, I think doing that was, was pretty uh, pretty tough going, but I, I'm pleased to have been uh, offered the chance to serve and to represent that challenge, to do that challenge. Secondly, what has been the hardest moment of 2021? Uh, easily doing the bill committee for the National Team Borders Bill. Oh, my God. I mean, that is... Uh, Imagine trying to do a degree from scratch in about sort of um, um, 12 weeks. That's that's kind of like, a, and then having to have speeches ready on different clauses, understanding all the clauses uh, and uh, uh, challenging the government and get interrupted on it. It was absolutely intense. So uh, I think by the... Um, by the end of uh, October, early November, I was ready to collapse in the heap in the corner. But it wasn't even over then. It was still just a temporary pause. I mean, did you get massive muscular legs? Because you have to, to stand up and down all the time, don't you? You know, to, to <laughs> kind of object or, or kind of add comments, don't you? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, luck I used to play rugby and I have uh, footballers, uh, calves and thighs. So I, I do, I have strong legs. <laughs> so like the the brain of a politician but maybe the legs of jack Grealish down there if, if people want that mental image of bambos jared lambos quite uh, a terrifying image yeah. <laughs> uh what is something that you felt that maybe you got wrong and would like to improve on next year probably try and explain things uh more to constituents uh about why i've made a, a particular decision that they disagree with so i think sometimes I may vote in a particular way and people may not understand why I voted that, even though it's probably within the party line, but trying to explain to them in greater detail why I've chosen to vote um, for a particular um, COVID measure, which they disagree with, um, but trying to be clear about what I've done with that. So communication is the one for 2021. And yeah. uh, sorry, for 2022. Uh, that, that's 22. something I need to improve on, getting my years correct. Then what is something that you feel the party has got wrong and you'd like to see improve next year? 
think, again, ironically, it is going to be communication. I think they need to go out and interact with um, the um, with constituents in different parts of the country and actually um, listen to what they're saying and try to um, re-engage with them and build up uh, trust between them and the party. So I think that's also a communication one. Let's move it to 2022 then. What do you feel are positives that we can look forward to, maybe in your local constituency, but nationally as well? Well, on a personal level, uh, I've, I've got a new ministerial shadow ministerial job. So I'm now the shadow minister for the um, Middle East and North Africa. So uh, getting to grips with that's going to be quite a big deal for me. So I've already uh, bought myself a map and got lots of uh, books uh, about the region. Um, but So that's a, a personal one for me. Uh, in relation to the constituency, um, hopefully sort of uh, trying to go out there, meet more constituents, trying to be a bit more um, engaged with them um, and um, find out what their concerns are. So being a being a good constituency MP, hopefully we'll be finally um, able to go back to some sort of normality after uh, January and February time um, when Omicron will um, either, everyone will have been double jabbed and boosted um, or will have had it and built some immunity to it so we can then get back to some degree of normality. So I think those things are um, things to look forward to. Two concluding discussion points. Uh, well, actually three here. Christmas is a time of cheer, but there's also the reality that at this time of year, there's a lot of people less fortunate than ourselves. Is there a charity you'd like to highlight for people at this time of year? The, the charity that I've um, worked with quite closely has been uh, North London Hospice. Um, so they, um, they have a... They've got a, a building in the constituency which uh, caters for uh, therapeutic support for people that um, have uh, terminal illnesses uh, and they'll support their families. They do an amazing job. Uh, they have a um, they have another centre in Finchley where they, um, they actually support people in Finchley, but they're an amazing organisation and I have nothing but respect for them. They had an exhibition recently um, which I attended uh, and bought uh, a print. It was a photographic exhibition. Um, so I think they're a great organisation. I would very much uh, like to support them. And for people listening in, if you do have the ability, like we discussed earlier, that there's an understanding that COVID has hit people, but the North London Hospice does some fantastic work in the local area. Let's move it to maybe some brighter discussions as well. Um, what is top of your Christmas list this year? And I know this is a political discussion, so there'll be something political, but I want to know something that you actually want as well in terms of like a gift or or just something. <laughs> so one political, I will allow you one political, Bambos, but you got you got to give me something fun as well. All right, something fun. Um, uh, what do I want on my Christmas list this year? Um well, I need to lose some pounds, so uh, I think a skipping rope might not uh, go missed there. So <laughs> something's getting into shape. So uh, something fitness-wise, um, um, well, political. I mean, obviously, um, the 
um, the implosion of the Tories uh, in Westminster and uh, laws of infighting with um, Boris Johnson wounded but still in position as uh, Prime Minister uh, for 2022. But um, we'll see. And then the final discussion point, this is the most wonderful time of the year for Christmas jumpers and garish outfits. Um, You had a mini viral tweet last year, uh, well, in 2021, that how you looked in the 1990s, absolute fashion icon. Do you have maybe a Christmas jumper or a Christmas look that will be making its way onto social media? Um, I, I I I did do the Christmas jumper for... Save the Children um, in December by the uh, Christmas Tree in Westminster Hall. Um, I seem to get quite a few likes, but uh, I'll I'll have to like delve into the uh, Bambos archive to find out some uh, embarrassing pictures of me at Christmas time um, from bygone days. Um, I think people like the student ones. Um, I do have quite a funny one of um, of me at Christmas. <laughs> When I was a student, I lived in a house in Liverpool with uh, eight other students, and there's a picture of us having Christmas uh, all together in quite a, a garish living room. Um, uh, so maybe I could share that picture, but I, I don't know if um, yeah, I don't know if people would sort of find that interesting. <laughs> I found it interesting. I'm sure uh, it, it adds that human element and kind of talking to to you, to Daisy, to Bim. Uh, I think one of the interesting things is finding that politicians aren't these super mega people like your your robots or something. You are real humans. You've you've had some fun experiences, and and I I like that element when I talk to all three of you. But. Bambos, thank you so much for your time today, but all for your time in 2021. You'll be back again next year. But for now, I'd like to wish you a very Merry Christmas and a happy, healthy New Year in 2022. Thank you very much.